Hey everybody, this is Mike Paterno, and I want to welcome you to Mostly Unseen with Jeff Boucher. Thanks for joining us today. We're happy to have you with us. Jeff is the pastor of Mill Pond Church. I want to let you know that any of the segments from our podcast will be accessible through our website at millpondchurchny.com. Today we're going to talk about the seven realities of experiencing God, which was actually a book outlined uh, by Henry Blackaby quite brilliantly, really. Uh, and he first published it about 30 years ago, and it explains some of the questions that we all have about coming to a relationship with God. Um, you know, I was in this uh, in this workshop probably four or five years ago with Pastor Jeff. He had led it at the time, uh, and it was a quite a game changer in really understanding how we come to that relationship with the Lord. It's just, uh, it was really amazing, and um, highly recommend it to anybody, and uh, we're going to... Pastor Jeff's going to give us a little overview of it tonight, a little understanding, and uh, it, it's going to be it's going to be a great topic for sure. So, uh, with us as always is Pastor Jeff. Welcome, Pastor Jeff. Good to be here, Mike. And uh, this is a very exciting topic. So, you know, I when I first read Henry Blackaby's book, um, it was probably 1994. Mm-hmm. I don't think the book had been out even too long. Um, I don't know what year it was published, but somewhere you know in the first few years, and. Um, it was given to me by um, John Stanley Sr., which was a uh, just a, a great man. He was the chairman of our board at Touch the World and um, just a great friend and in many ways a mentor to me. So he handed me the book and he said, you got to read this. And I said, great. So I picked up the book. And at that point, I was, you know, we had started the minute I was pastoring, uh, youth pastoring, and I was just becoming a senior pastor. Mm, at that point okay. and 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 kind of a dual role and i had started touch the world ministries about four years before this and when i read the book and i read it pretty quickly once i started it, i couldn't put it down and i remember my first two thoughts i said if i ever were to write a book this would be it i would just change the stories but everything he said was it was like like he was watching my life, yeah, amazing. right? And uh, and he wrote it much better than I would have. I'll, I'll just say that. But <laughs> but that's the book I I would have like I could relate to it because it was all I just changed the stories out from what he was experiencing mm-hmm. to my stories. But what he also did is he actually put a call it he put handles on it, mm-hmm. right? A lot of times we're trying to explain a concept or a biblical truth or some kind of reality. And we're groping for words. He did a masterful job at grabbing the concept, titling the concept, and then showing it plainly from Scripture. And it was amazing. And putting them in order, if you will. And you'll see yeah, it was what I a mean great roadmap. <laughs> yes, it was a great roadmap. It was. And there are certain things that happen along the way and they typically happen in order they can jump a little bit Mm -hmm. there's times they can Mm -hmm. but you'll see all all seven of these things and i just thought this so i have read that book every single year since then Mm. and i've taught on it many times and you know so much so that i could write that book now but i still couldn't improve upon it Mm -hmm. so there's no sense to writing it (laughs) i just recommend his book and it doesn't matter if you read his stories or mine because you're going to get your own stories anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's the so true. That's the big thing. So the seven realities are, you know, 
so great, but there's some preemptory things that come, you know, before we dive into the whole thing. One of those things is you'll hear people, I will hear people, and I'm sure you, you have heard people say this. I'll get up there and I'll tell a story about what God is doing, or I'll say, you know, God spoke to me, or God reminded me, or you know what God taught me? And I'll just use these phrases, and people go, the guy talks as if God speaks to him, you know? And this is just having conversations with God. And it's really funny. It does sound funny if you're, we'll call you the uninitiated, right? Um, but you can be the initiated if you want to. And so I'll tell these miraculous things that have happened in my life, many of them. And, you know, when I talk about them and I think about them, it's just so amazing. And when I talk about them, people go, I wish that could happen to me. To which, if they ask it out loud, I always say, it absolutely can happen to you. It probably not... has. You just didn't recognize it. Yes, or <laughs> or maybe hasn't in the way that it could if you understood how these things come about. So, so when we think of this, there's a few things. Number one, and we talked about this, I don't know, in one of our podcasts, you know, in the past month or two. But we were talking about, you know, God's will for your life. Mm -hmm. Everybody wants to know, what is God's will for my life? You know, does God have a purpose? Does he have a will? And, you know, we won't go back through that whole thing, but basically what it came down to, and I've said this to people many times, is if you are following God, Jesus gave us the best example ever. He came to do God's will. He told the disciples, for instance, with the woman at the well, I think is the passage we went off of the time we did it, um, you know, where he was talking to, to her and the disciples came back and saw him talking with a woman who was a Samaritan. They marveled that he talked, you know, to her, but nobody questioned him. And then they said, well, here, have something to eat. They went into the city to buy food. So Jesus said, you know, no, I, I have, he said, no, he's not hungry, whatever. And they said, did somebody bring him food? Did somebody? And he says, I have food that you know nothing about. And then he gives this statement. He says, my food is to do the will mm -hmm. of him who sent me. And then we think, oh, well, he was God, so he knew what God's will was. No, no, God has given us his will. And just in, you know, and we elaborated more, but just quickly, be obedient to God. To what? To his, his commands, to the things he's leading you in. And those commands are all, never burdensome. They're always for our benefit. So things like, you know, don't cheat, don't mm -hmm. lie, don't steal, um, you know, don't commit adultery, don't uh, use the Lord's name in vain, you know, and those are the, I'm coming from the Ten Commandments because most people would know those. But God just has all these, you know, commands, these truths that he wants us to prosper. And he doesn't want us just to get along in life or struggle. He wants us to live life abundantly. He wants us to experience joy abundantly. And so he gives us, you want the secret? Here, follow me. So he says, follow me. Mm -hmm. Be obedient to what I do. Watch what I do. Look at what I've given you. So if we just follow what God says, God will then begin using us. Now, if you haven't heard that podcast, look it up. Listen to that one before you dive into, mm -hmm. you know, the series that we're going to do with this. But you'll, I think it's a really good one. I think you'll get 
a lot out of it and then it'll give you a basis. So having said that, let's talk about the realities that Henry Blackaby labeled for us. And he says, basically, it starts off with God is at work all around us. In fact, in the Gospels, and I want to say it was John, might have been chapter five, I'm not sure. Um, you can look it up for us. But, you know, they're the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Yeah, John 5, 17. Okay, John 5, 17 are upset with, with Jesus because he healed on the Sabbath. Now, this is very legalistic because Jesus, of course, is who doesn't do good on the Sabbath? Mm -hmm. If your ox falls in a hole and he's stuck, are you going to leave him there? <laughs> no, you're going to help him out. If, if somebody's in crisis, are you going to leave him in crisis until the next? No. And, you know, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Mm -hmm. And when you get legalist, you can take things too far and be legalistic or not enough and don't revere God at all. Right? So it's the middle ground that we're looking for there. So when we think of this, Jesus answered in John 5, 17, when they were accusing him of breaking the command. And, you know, Jesus basically responds, says, my father, because they considered that a work. My father is at work to this very day. And I too am working. Mm -hmm. Now, that tells us that God is at work. Now, first question that might come to mind for somebody is, wait a minute, I thought God created the world and then it said he rested. And he stopped doing anything. No, he rested from his creation and he gave us an understanding of rest itself. In fact, he gave us a day of the week, just like the day of the seventh day in the creation was the day of rest. And that would have been our Saturday. Mm -hmm. And we're supposed to always keep the Sabbath. Now, does it mean we have to keep the very particular day? No, we live in a, sometimes you're a police officer. Sometimes you're a nurse or a doctor. Sometimes, and you, you might not get that Sabbath day off because the culture doesn't work that way. And so instead of, you know, observing a, a day of rest on a day that you're working, if it were Sunday, right? Or, or Saturday, whatever day is your Sabbath, instead of doing that, right? You would say, okay, I have to work today. Mm. And I can't avoid that because I'm a physician. I'm a, you know, whatever. And when you think about that, okay, then don't worry about that. Choose another day and take that as a day of rest. And then what did they do with the day of rest? You know what? They'd focus on God. They'd go to service, maybe. They'd celebrate. They'd read their Bibles. You could do all kinds of things. You could listen to great music. You could relax. You could go fishing and contemplate the you know, things of the world, the, the truths of God or whatever. You could memorize scriptures. Lots of things you could mm -hmm. do. Take some time to pray. And we should be doing a lot of that every day. But that's a day that's special where we kind of, you know, observe it maybe a little bit more closely. And we can get into what the Sabbath is another time. So God is at work all around us. Now, think about that. Jesus also says, I can do nothing in and of myself. I only do what the Father does. I only do what I see the Father doing. I only do the work that the Father has called me to do. He, he says it so many times, he uses mm -hmm. those phrases. You know, I can, and John 15 talks about the vine and the branches, mm -hmm. right? And he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing, right? So 
apart from the Father, he can do nothing. Mm. And he will do nothing. And he'll only do what the Father is doing. So how does Jesus know what the Father is doing? He's praying. He's always in contact with him. Always. Never, never out of contact. Many people, and I might ruffle some feathers on this one, many people think that Jesus, because he was both human and God, that he knew everything he was going to do before he did it. And that's not so. I don't believe. I believe that there's enough evidence throughout the whole Bible that Jesus, although he maintained and retained his God attributes, if you will, his, mm -hmm. his deity, he chose to empty himself, Philippians chapter 2, and to humble himself and become a man and therefore live as a man lives without sin, though. Mm. So he didn't have a sinful nature. And when he was living, he depended on the Father. When I say living, I should qualify that. When he was living as a human on earth, he went to the Father for everything. He would get up early in the morning before the sun rose, often. Why? Going and praying. Mm -hmm. And well, what's Jesus praying about? If he's God, he should know everything. But he doesn't. And he says in other places, you know, um, it's not for you to know the day or the hour. Right, right. Not even the sun mm -hmm. knows, meaning himself. Wait a minute. How could you be God if you don't know? Because he limited himself voluntarily. He had the attributes. He chose not to use them. Why? As an example to us, to show us how we have to be dependent on him, mm. on the Father, right? On the Trinity, to show us that we can come to him constantly, to show us that he'll speak back to us and that he'll show us what he wants us to be doing. So people say, yeah, but my life's just mundane. There's nothing mundane if God is in the midst of it, right? We know that. Very true. So in this case, if you truly realize that God is all around you, you know the old phrase, um, bloom where you're planted. Mm -hmm. Most people know that, right? What that means. It means wherever you find yourself, maybe you get a transfer. Maybe you lost your job and you have to take some, you know, a couple of part-time jobs to make ends meet right now. And a lot of people, when they get in circumstances that are a little bit difficult, not where they want it to be, they get upset, they get depressed, they, they whine. That saying means bloom where you're planted. And if you truly believe that God's at work all around you and God is your best interest in mind, then you're going to realize God is in this. Whatever this is, he's in it. Mm -hmm. And we can start looking. So let me give you maybe a way to apply it. Um, and then we'll kind of speed through these a little bit more because we're just going to touch on each one. So when I'm thinking, you know, about this, I think, okay, so here's an example. I was um, about a week and a half ago. You know I do sports performance mm -hmm. training as well um, as my pastoral stuff because it's a hobby. It's something I've loved. I've been trained in it and have done it for a number of years. And I love helping kids and athletes and, you know, come into their body and the usage of their body and give them, uh, you know, a lot more uh, ability as an athlete. So as I... Think about these things. I get invited uh, by a good friend, uh, Chenzo, who's the multi-regional director, I think he's called, or multi-director of FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, uh, in the Hudson Valley. Mm. 
And, you know, so he says to me, hey, would you help me with a track clinic? I got a number of coaches coming that are going to do the different things that are involved in track and field. He said, would you take the first hour and do a warm-up and do explain the warm-up and then maybe do something on speed mechanics? So I said, sure. Now, what made me say sure right away? Because, number one, I looked at my calendar and I said, I'm available that day. Secondly, Chenzo's in ministry and he's doing this for ministry. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking God is giving me an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And this was just my sense about it. Um, God didn't have to speak this to me. I'm just saying I'm available. He needs me. I'm going to go do it. But I also knew that God had something else for me. I'm going to, I know what I'm going to do when I go do that. I might have to prepare something a little bit. Right. But then I'm thinking, all right, Lord. So I wake up that day and even the day before I said, Lord, I'm going to this thing tomorrow, this uh, training, and there's going to be 21 or two athletes there. Show me who you want me to meet. And so anyway, I go and in my mind, the whole time is why am I here? I knew why I was there for the track and field stuff, Mm -hmm. what I was training. I didn't have to ask about that. But why are you really there? Why am I really there? So my spiritual antenna go, go up and I start just talking to everybody. And three people, boom, 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 over the course of the first hour and a half, you know, we strike up these conversations and immediately there's a connection. One of them was the guy that runs the place we were, that we went to. Another guy was a pastor who I, I figured out after a while, had been a little bit discouraged um, because he was doing a church plant. I told him, we're doing a church plant. We started talking. He tells me at the end, he got so encouraged by our conversation. Then there was another guy who I didn't make contact since then with, um, but I intend to. And the other two I've made contact with since Hmm. then. And I knew that was, there could be others, but that was the reason I was there. And I stepped into it and realized God put me next to this guy and every chance I got, he and I talked between things that were happening and it was really, really good. So I just believe God is at work. God is at work all around. What is he at work doing? So your first step, right? To think about this is understanding that God is at work. God is always at work. Mm -hmm. He's been at work since the creation. He's been at work in people's lives since Adam and Eve fell and sin was found in them. And they get expelled from the Garden of Eden. He's been working. He called Israel as a nation, right? He did all kinds of things. He comes to earth. You know, he sends Jesus, right? The second member of the Trinity comes to earth, lives among us, dies for us. Mm -hmm. Says something about the love of God. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then moves forward, you know, with just, you know, make himself available to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you look at these things and say, man, God has been doing a lot. He has not stopped. He's still at work. Many people need to be brought into a relationship with him. We have a a ministry with God, a ministry of reconciliation. Paul talks all about that in Mm. Corinthians. Okay. So what do we have to realize? So he's at work around us all the time. Secondly, what is he at work doing? He wants to have that relationship with us. He wants us to be able to follow him, but you can't follow anybody until you know them. So, and what does that look like? What is, what is God wanting a relationship with us 
look like? What does he? What does that mean? We realize who he is. Who he is, you know, for us, you know, mankind. Who he is for us, you know, our savior. Really, I mean. So once you realize who he is, then you can realize how big he is, and you get a glimpse of how, of his greatness. And from there, you know, you're much calmer as far as your worries are are left from you because you realize, oh. He is the Alpha and Omega. He's in control. So I don't have to worry about, you know, I'm, I, this might be where I'm supposed to go, but I'm making the wrong step. No, if he's, if you're really, and you said it so well, your spiritual antenna are up, right? We yeah. do so many things. We're like, oh yeah, you're on fire for God. I'm going to do this, but we're not necessarily listening. Right. And if you have your spiritual antenna up, so to speak, you're constantly, you might be working at the same time, but you're always listening at the same time. All right. So let's deepen it a little bit. He wants a relationship with us. I always try to put things in the terms of mankind because mm. I think he speaks in those terms for us. And so I think to myself, okay, there's many kinds of relationships. There's a marriage relationship. There's um, work relationships, colleagues, and so forth. There are business relationships. There are um, intimate relationships that lead to a marriage. Um, there are, you know, brotherly, you know, relationships, sisterly relationships. There's So there's a number of different ones. The kind that God wants with us is a love relationship. And it's the kind of relationship that God loves us so much. And, and I always try to think of it in the terms of who do I love in my life? Mm. And I think of more, right? I think of, of my wife. And I say, you know, I love her to death. What does that mean for me? And I know what it means for me. And if anybody said something mean to me, let's say, I could, it would bounce off me. I don't really care. But if Maura did, that would be, that'd be hard. That would cut you. Right? <laughs> that would cut you. And vice versa, I'm sure. So, you know, there's things like that. So you think of, you know, there are conversations you can have with somebody you trust implicitly mm -hmm. that you'd never think to have with even good friends because there's a friendship that's deeper right there's so and you could say even david said my love for jonathan king david said my love for jonathan that's saul's mm -hmm. son is greater than my love for women now we know David's love for women, right? In the Bible, you know, and and we also know that the love for Jonathan was a brotherly love, mm -hmm. an affection of the deepest friendship, the deepest friendship. And they shared everything. They protected each other. Mm -hmm. They watched over each other. They talked with each other. So it's really sharing everything. It's sharing life. It's it's sharing your, your hopes, your dreams. It's sharing your struggles and your problems. It's sharing your failures and your successes, everything you're doing. That's the kind of relationship that God wants with us. And it's, and that's the second reality is once you know, he's at work around us, well, what's he at work doing? He's at work reconciling the world to himself. Mm. So says Paul in Corinthians, right? And he has called us into that work with him. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. So 
we're called into this relationship. When we come into that relationship and we really grasp, like you were saying earlier, what this relationship is, who the person I'm in a relationship with. Like when you meet somebody that you fall in love with, you are just head over heels and you're like, I can't believe they love me. I can't believe that person thinks of me this way. And, you know, when you think of the creator of the universe and you realize he loves us, how much, so much that he, he became a man and died for us because he could not have a relationship with us because of our sin. Mm. Unless that problem was remedied. Mm -hmm. No human could remedy the problem. The only solution was for him to remedy it. And that meant him dying. So before any of us ever gave him even a thought, he put the plan in place to save us. And not just to save us, but to be in relationship with us, to love us. And we can love him because he loved us first. First loved us. So, so when I was listening to the Black Bee and I was thinking, God doesn't work around us all the time, I started thinking all around me. And then it wasn't just like, and many people I think get this wrong. Oh, he wants me to, you know, do this job or do that thing or, you know, maybe help with this or help with that or build this or build that. Well, he might want you to do that, but that would always be the vehicle. What's God's heart set on? Following him. And his heart is set on his people. Mm. And he wants his people to follow him. And when we don't, how does God feel? We grieve the spirit. It hurts him. It hurts him. We don't think about that, that we can actually hurt God. And we can. God loves us. We love God. Well, we think, you know, how could God be hurt? He's God. Well, we have the emotions that God has given us. God has to have those emotions in order for him to give them to us. So God can be hurt. God can be angry. God can be, you know, incredibly gracious. God can be our defender. God can be, you know, our our dad, our chastiser, right? Our corrector, our, you know, the one who brings us back into the fold. There's so many things that God has planned for us, right? For those that love him. In fact, it says that no eye has seen, no mind has ever conceived, no, mm. you know, nothing. No ear has even heard what God has planned for those that love him. So he's got great surprises for us in life. So Blackaby gives all kinds of stories, and I have tons of these stories that I don't, I don't want to give here because I want to kind of give everybody a, a taste of, mm -hmm. of where it's going. So he wants a relationship with us. So when we talk about coming to faith in Christ, being born again, uh, the newness of life, um, you know, having the get it factor, the eureka moment, I get that God loves it. These are all ways of saying the same thing. It's entering into that relationship with God. Now, so he's at work. He's at work reconciling the world. And what's the third reality? Well, we, we need an invitation to it. <laughs> so and we get invited to the party. <laughs> he And God invites us. Yep. God invites us to do it. So let's put some skin on this, right? Some flesh and, and bone on it. Here we go. So think of Moses for a second. Moses was, he, he, you know, born into slavery, 
then because Farrah was killing the little babies, his mother had the idea and asked her daughter, Moses' sister, to put him in a little boat that they made uh, and float him down the Nile and right past Pharaoh's entourage at the Nile. So Pharaoh's daughter draws him up out of the Nile and he gets raised in Pharaoh's house. And an amazing story. Mm. So as he grows up at 40 years old, he decides to, you know, he knows where he come from, he come, he's come from, and he knows how his people are be, being treated. And I have to believe, you know, this was on his heart. Well, not just believe it, it's scripturally, it's on his heart. And probably called out to God, probably prayed, even though they didn't know God the way they did in former times, mm -hmm. because they weren't allowed to worship the way they wanted to. So here's Moses, you know, and then finally one day he can't take it and he jumps in and kills an Egyptian who's beaten up a, uh, you know, one of his brothers. And he gets found out, runs into the wilderness 40 years later, okay, at 80 years old. He sees a burning bush. God speaks to him and says, Moses, I have heard the cry of my people. God is on the move. Now, could God have taken Pharaoh down without any human help? Sure. God could have, could have done anything. But God doesn't operate like that generally. He invites us to get into the work with him. God was at work in the Jews. God was at work even while they were in slavery. And God was about to raise somebody up and send him, display his power through him, and get his people released. Moses was that guy. Mm -hmm. Moses didn't want to do this. Now, we say, boy, I wish I could experience God. Well, Moses probably thought that too <laughs> until he got the invitation. And when he found out where the party was... <laughs> It didn't he wanted sound to send decline at first. <laughs> yes. He was he, he did everything he could to decline the invitation. And God didn't let him decline it. Or Thank goodness. God would have let him. But finally, you know, so he invites Moses to do that, right? Jesus, just a couple of examples. Jesus comes and it tells us in Luke nineteen ten, and that's the story of Zacchaeus. Mm. It, it tells us what his mission was, the work that he came to do. He was with Zacchaeus. He goes to his house. Basically, it was a divine appointment. And Zacchaeus comes to faith that day. And Jesus recognizes he comes to faith and says, salvation has come to your house mm -hmm. today. And what does verse 10 say? He says, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So seeking and saving the lost, to me, would fit into God is looking for a relationship. Mm -hmm. We are lost because when we're in sin, God is lost to us. We are lost to him. God describes it in multiple ways through scripture. The sheep that wanders away mm -hmm. and the shepherd leaves to go to go find that one, right? The lost coin of the woman's wedding um, band mm -hmm. that she would wear on her head with the coins in it. Um, you know, the lost son Right? We all refer to that as the prodigal son. Mm -hmm. So he was lost. And the father was always looking, always watching for him. The father wouldn't drag him back. But the father knew the moment he wanted to come back, he'd accept him with open arms. Mm -hmm. God does that. We see people in prison with prison ministries. And people go, oh yeah, of course they turn to God in prison. 
But why? If God didn't really save in prison, why would they turn to him? Right. Right. If it was already written that way. Right. You know? So God forgives. We may have to pay a human punishment, but God loves us and God will accept us. The thief on the cross. Right. He was being crucified next to Christ with good reason. He even said it. Exactly. He deserved it. But Jesus said what? He said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. Yes. You and I will be together. So you, you look at that and it's like, wow. Mm -hmm. So God, you know, wants that. He invites us to bring others into the kingdom. That's what his church exists for. To worship him and to reach out to others. Think of the two greatest commands. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. And love one another. As and love your neighbors yourself. You, yeah. Right? Reach out. So the first one is vertical. The second one is horizontal. Mm -hmm. What we get from God, which is love, we give to others, which is God's love. So it's an amazing thing. So so we get that invitation. But then something happens, and we saw it. God speaks to us. So he invites us to join him. And then he speaks. So he invited Moses. The invitation came in the form of a burning bush. Mm -hmm. The woman at the well came in the form of an invitation to receive the words that Jesus was mm -hmm. saying. Take the water that I want to offer you, which was spiritual water, mm, which was life-giving water. Life-giving yeah. water. And the woman accepted and then went and brought more, mm -hmm. right? First, the relationship was with God. Then she went and brought others in. It's the pattern of Scripture. So you look at this, and we find that pattern repeated. The disciples were invited to follow Jesus and just come with me. That's it. What did the woman say to the people in the city? Come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Could this... Could this be the Messiah? Be the Messiah. So it was an invitation. They came. They asked Jesus to spend time with them. He spends time with them. Mm -hmm. And their testimony was, now we believe not because of what the woman said, but because we have met yourselves. Mm -hmm. So we've seen you and know. And this is what's been going on for thousands of years. God has been bringing us because all who come to know him all who come to faith and people say, oh, so it's exclusive. No, the invitation the invitation goes out to everyone. But you're excluded if you say no. Mm -hmm. So it's, you took it, yourself out. You took yourself out. You said no to the invitation, you know, and then after the door is shut, you want in. Well, it doesn't work that way, right? Somebody else filled your spot, right? So, you know, it's kind of that way in a funny way of speaking. Um, but God speaks. Now, here's the hard part, and that we'll see when we actually unfold this. When God speaks, it's usually something we don't want to hear, right? Because he, he invites us, you know, into something that's like, wow, Paul the Apostle, he was a Pharisee running around trying to stop the church because he was Jewish and he thought that Jesus was not the Messiah. He was arresting people, watching as they killed them, so forth. And then Jesus knocks him down to the ground. And a bright light shines and blinds Paul. And he speaks, Paul, Paul, why? Or Saul, he called him. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Saul said, who are you? And he said, I am mm -hmm. Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now, this is after Jesus ascended into mm -hmm. heaven. And Saul must have, can you imagine what he must have been thinking in that moment? His whole life just flashed before his eyes. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and he invites Saul to join him, to become 
an apostle. Mm-hmm. Saul gives everything up. Was Saul's life easy? No. No. But yet, Saul had joy. Mm-hmm. Well, throughout why? Because when you are doing what God has called you to do, and God is empowering you to do it, there's no place you would rather be. No place. I, oh, I've heard so many times where people say, no, you know, I don't want to come to God. Why? Because he's going to tell me to sell everything I have and go to Africa. Well, there are people who sell everything they have and go to Africa and other parts of the world. And sounds crazy, right? But when God calls you and you know the invitation is there and you respond, it turns out that there's no other place you would have rather yeah. been. And you don't want to come back. You love the people. Mm-hmm. Why? God knew what he was doing. Mm-hmm. God knows every every time he calls somebody to do something, he knows what he's doing. Does God call everyone to go to Africa? No. Right. Right? He, he doesn't call it. He called you into physical therapy. Mm-hmm. Right? He, he, he called Kenny into manufacturing. He called me into ministry. And another love of mine into sports and mm-hmm. performance. Right? Training. So I get to do things like that and use them for the kingdom. Right? So, so really cool stuff. So God invites us. Moses is a great example. God says, Moses, I want you to go. What did Moses say to God? Ah, Lord, I can't. I don't really speak well. You know, I'm, I haven't been there in a long time. <laughs> They're all looking I'm for 80, me to kill I'm me. I'm years old. Right. <laughs> I, you know, I stutter. I got a speech <laughs> yeah. problem. What, what am I going to do? Who, you know, what can I say? And, you know, each time God answers him. Mm-hmm. He says, you know, when Moses says, my, my speech is terrible. I, I, you know, I stutter. Whatever was wrong with him. What did God say? Who gave you your tongue? Who, who gave you the tongue? Yeah. Who, you know, who do you think can speak through you? Right. right. What about all those people that are trying to kill me? They're all dead. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Go back. And then he says, I have the power of life and death. Put your, your hand inside your, your cloak, mm-hmm. right? Your over garment. And Moses does that. And what happens? It comes out all leprous. And you can imagine Moses freaking out. Mm-hmm. And then what does God say to him before he has a coronary? And put it back in your put it back in your cloak and pull it out again. And it was it was totally fine. It was restored healed. completely. God said, Who do you think is the power over disease, the power over life, the power over death? And he says, I do. Who do you think has the power? Me or Pharaoh? Exactly. He says, Moses, exactly. I'm asking you to go. Don't think I'm depending on you make it happen that would be the disaster i'm going with you i'm going with you and the amazing thing to tie into that something you said before you said could god have taken out pharaoh and we said yeah of course by himself but here's the thing if god had taken up out pharaoh by himself instead of acting through moses there's no relationship then Moses moses might have seen what god did and said wow that's great but he's still then very abstract there's no relationship yes everything god does he works for people mm-hmm so it was um, really interesting because when you think of this, he knew Moses' insecurities. At one point, the Bible tells us God got angry with Moses mm-hmm. because now we're, it's a step too far here. Hey, what more do you want me to show you, right? But then he says, what's that in your hand? Oh, with the staff, yes. He said, it's a staff. So Moses walked with the staff. The staff, what was Moses? He was a shepherd. Right. So he had that both to help the sheep and, and to, to beat back the enemies. Yeah. Oh, right. That too. Yeah. Right. So Moses would have had that. He said, what's that in your hand? He said, a staff. He said, throw it on the ground. 
When Moses threw it on the ground, right there at the burning bush, what happened to the staff? It became a snake. Moses did what? He freaked out. He jumped <laughs> back. And God said, do not fear. Reach out, grab it by the tail, and, and you know, straighten that. He does, and it becomes the staff again. He said, I'm with you. You know what I think he was doing there? It doesn't say this specifically. Moses needed to know, is God with me? And he was just asked to do the biggest thing in the world, to go to go to your death. If, if God, if this didn't work, if God wasn't with him, mm-hmm. he was going to his death. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he had the physical thing in his hands, the security blanket. God gave it to, to him. To remind him. To remind him, what happened to that staff when I spoke? Okay, don't worry. Take that staff with you. Right? And then he told him, you're still worried about your speaking. Go get your brother. Get your brother. <laughs> He's going to be, he says, so you shall be like God to Pharaoh, Mm -hmm. and he shall be your prophet. So just like God is to Moses, Moses would be to Aaron. And so, and you think of the way that God cares for us, deals and helps and meets us in our emotional difficulty, our fears and our anxieties. Then he gives them this help. Carry the staff, because you saw what I just did with your staff. Right? So Moses thinking... I got to believe that he's walking, thinking the whole time. I'm glad I've got this thing because I know what it did. And I'm glad I've got Aaron. Right. Right. So anyway, God speaks. And that's the key, right? In the end, when you get to that moment, you need to say yes. And not just say yes. What else? You need to actually go do it. So and follow in Moses' case there, and I think you're exactly right. In Moses' case, God met his fears, laid a little out for him. Showed Moses why he was the one. I'm sure we don't have the whole conversation in Scripture. We've got enough of it to know, you know, these things. And then he sends him. But God is still not going to make Moses go. In order for Moses to experience what God is going to do, he has to go. Mm. The only way that Moses will be the guy that experiences the power, seeing the Nile turn to blood, right? seen him throw the snake down and his snake snake eat both of pharaoh's snakes for him to turn the sun to darkness for him the only way is for him to go now that tells us something i love the way blackaby puts this he said you have to adjust your life to god god will not adjust his to yours so do you want to experience god you have to you have to make adjustments mm. you have to obey you have to do what God is asking you to do. Meaning, you got to be willing and you got to take the steps. That's what the biggest struggle. That's where people die right yeah, there. Yeah, and yeah. they don't and they don't experience God because they're not going to do that, or they delay it for a long time, or whatever it might be. <clears throat> Many people say, "Gosh, I wish I could experience God." When you ask that, be ready for what you. You're not ready for what you're really asking. I'll tell you that. Yes. Much. And Anyone yet, who's really walked through that will tell you, like. Yeah, there were some moments there, and you recognize times when you failed and not do it, but then you see the success of it, and you realize, wow, then you realize the power of God. You really see him in action. And I personally have so many stories where God came through where it was humanly impossible, Mm -hmm. humanly impossible, Mm -hmm. and many, many, many stories. And so, you know, and we're going to share some of those when we break these out and, and so forth. So Moses does adjust his life right, to what God is saying. 
Um, so when God speaks, and I didn't mention this as the next reality, um, the fourth one is God speaks, right? Mm-hmm. So you had God uh, is at work all around us. Uh, the second one was God is desiring a love relationship with us and, you know, wanting to reconcile the world. He invites us, that's the third one, mm-hmm. to be part of that work with him. Then he speaks to us. That's the tough one. And when he speaks, actually the really tough one, is we we get a crisis of belief. It's a crisis. Why is it a crisis? And this is what I explained, but called it, I jumped ahead to adjusting. The crisis is, I, can ne- I cannot do that. You're asking me to do something I cannot do. God knows what he's asking us. Is he expecting us to do it? Yeah. No. No. He's expecting us to be there so he can do it through us. Oh, sorry. I I misinterpreted what you were saying. Yes. Yeah. Okay, I was already on I the adjustment phase. Yeah, right. okay, sorry. My bad. Jumped no, ahead. and I jumped ahead over the crisis. It's a crisis of belief. This is the crisis of belief is not for God. God knows what you are going to do long before you do it. He's all-knowing. Yeah. So when God asks us to do something and there's a crisis of belief, whose benefit is that for? It's really for ours. So we understand yeah, and, who he is. And what happens when we have a crisis of belief? It's, it's God is asking me to do something that I know I can't do. God is asking me to do something that, you know, was not in my plan. God is asking me to do something that I don't have the gifting for. Mm-hmm. God is asking me to do something I don't have the money for. God's asking me to do something I don't have the background for. God's asking me to do something. I don't, that's what we do with God. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't, I won't, I won't, I won't. So finally, hopefully, we say, I give up. I give in. I'm going to do it. So the crisis of belief, when you come through it, you realize where your faith was. Abraham was asked by God to do the most unthinkable, unimaginable, most difficult thing in life, which was what? Sacrifice his only son. Yes. Now, God knew he wasn't going to let him sacrifice him, but Abraham didn't know that because the peoples of those days, 4,000 years ago, those people, their gods asked them to sacrifice, right? Mm -hmm. So God is all about life. So God says to Abraham, offer up your son. Did God know what Abraham was going to do? He knew what Abraham was going to do, yeah. Oh, yeah. Abraham didn't. And if God asked me to do something in a moment, and let's say I had a God experience, a light flashed, you know, the thunder roared, um, you know, God spoke in an audible voice and said, do this. I, I would do it right then and there. But he says to Abraham, I want you to walk with your son. No, he's a young man. Mm. Walk with him. He, is, he, he didn't tell his son what he was doing. He didn't tell his servants what he was going to do. Isaac's actually carrying the wood. He's going to Mount Moriah. Mm-hmm. And Abraham knows. I got to believe that Abraham's wrestling, thinking, wondering, panicking. He's oh. got really time to sit in this crisis. Oh my goodness. Three days to walk with your, your child, to talk to him, and then wonder. So the moment Abraham goes to do it, God stops him. God already knew what he was going to do, but Abraham didn't know. Now Abraham knows what? Now Abraham knows, one, how much God loves him. And two, how much he loves God. That he would give his only son. Moses gave up his life. 
He had a new family. He took them with him to Egypt, knowing that if God doesn't show up, we're all doomed. But he went, ultimately. So after your crisis of belief and you're working through it, we don't know how long it took Moses, a day, a week, two weeks, a month. We don't know. But we know that he worked his way through it. And he adjusted his life. He packed up his family. He headed for Egypt. He had to do that to go talk to Pharaoh. Pharaoh wasn't coming to him. So he had to adjust to what God called him to do. And again, many times I've experienced that, and I'm sure you have too. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, you know, an amazing thing. And finally, what happens when we adjust our lives? We experience profoundly what God wants to do. What did what did Moses experience? Oh my goodness, he experienced really God in all his glory. All his might. So God came down and judged all the gods, the pantheon of gods of Egypt. And each plague was upon one or more of the Egyptian gods. Mm-hmm. And when you look at this, right, you had the Nile River, which had three deities associated with it. You had the sun which had several, but the most powerful, Ra, yeah. which was the, you know, one of the greatest god of the Egyptian pantheon. You had, you know, different, you know, there was a, the frogs came all over the land. You had the goddess Boils, that was half, yeah, yeah, yeah. half woman, half frog. You had the god of the flies, mm-hmm. um, who was truly a god of Egypt. So you had all these in each time. And Moses, the, the plagues seemed to get worse and more intense and calling down, you know, hail, not ordinary hail, hail with fire. And when you look, Egypt, every plague devastated the economy, another step. And God brought Egypt to its knees, all through Moses' obedience. His obedience. Moses then got to experience God. That is the most amazing. Many people don't experience God. Because in one of the seven realities, they're stuck. Or the, and it could be the very first one or second one where it's about the relationships or whatever. So that is an amazing thing. Now, this isn't like, okay, yeah, I did that, a one-time thing. This happens ongoing in our lives. And we could be at multiple stages of this at multiple times. I could be at stage four in one scenario. And it's stage one in another scenario. Mm-hmm. Recognizing God works around us, but also recognizing God has just asked me to do something on something different. So God is always at work, always calling us, always working with us, and always wanting us to have these experiences with him. Because, and I don't think we've done this on a podcast, I preached this at church on Sunday, I believe. Uh, I, I do so many things. Um we know God by experience. You know, there's, there, I did. There's difference knowing God and knowing or knowing about God. There's many people. I knew until I was 16. I knew about God. I went to church. I was brought there. My my mom, my dad took me. I'd go to church. My brothers went to church. With You know, I knew about God. I knew about God. I knew about God. But until I understood and came to faith in Christ, I didn't know God. You know, it's like, if you ask me, do you know Bruce Springsteen? Yeah, I know Bruce Springsteen. Now you know I don't know him, and right, I know right, right. I know you're not asking me, do I know Bruce Springsteen? You know, and every now and then you'll come across that person says, No, I really do. And you say, really, what's he like? And you right. have this great conversation. And it's like, wow, you know, 
if you if you're a fan of Bruce Springsteen, let's say I, I wish I knew Bruce, Bruce Springsteen because you you'd love to be next to Bruce Springsteen for whatever you think he's going to do for you. When you know God, it's different than knowing about God, mm-hmm. right? So I'm going to pause there. Thoughts or maybe questions that you have, Mike, that you think people might ask, or your own questions or observations. Listen, all I can say is this is a, a great series like as we talk about this this is one of those things that really will open up your spiritual antenna and and really open up your relationship to be able to have just a really a really great relationship with god i mean really i when i went through this workshop when you when you ran this one a few years ago for me i thought this was like you know i i had a relationship with god before then but i this really helped hone it and, and open my eyes to certain things that I never really thought on. about. Yeah. Yeah. How do how do I do this? Oh, how do I recognize this? Oh, I didn't know God was going to do this. Oh, I didn't know how you, you become and it, it teaches you really to become um, less self-directed and more God reliant. And you're absolutely right. And the best part, which we didn't do tonight, all of these um, steps, right? These realities have tons of scripture to show mm-hmm. us these things are real. What Blackaby was ingenious to do was to look at it and see the see how it unfolds and then watch it and then you could see it all through the scripture. So very powerful, very, very powerful. And he was able to put it together for us and I'm sure that God yeah, gave yeah. that to him as an inspirational type of, of uh, teaching for him. Right. And he lived it. He wasn't just putting us in a book. He lived it. He did. You know, and still does, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. So. But very understandable, very tangible. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think um, I'm excited about it. I, I can't wait to, uh, you know, unpack it. Mm. And we'll see how it unfolds. Maybe there'll be one per episode uh, of, of a podcast or might cover two in a podcast. Mm-hmm. Let's see. But there's so much material. Um, and. I would highly recommend if this interests you, uh, have a pad and pen mm, ready definitely. because there's a lot of things and even pick up the book. Uh, oh, I think yeah. it's a great book and you know, you, you probably won't be able to put it down. Mm-hmm. That was my experience. Right. So anyway, all right, good. Um, I think we, uh, let's, uh, maybe close, close us, uh, close us out, Mike. All right. Uh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for being able to spread your word tonight. Um, Lord, we want you to be understandable, and we know you want to be understood, Lord, so that we can we can follow you better, that we can have that relationship that we were talking about today with you, Lord Jesus. Um, I pray if there are people out there that are listening to this and say, Lord, I want to have that relationship with you, then pray, Jesus, let me have that relationship with you. He will not deny you. We said, ask, seek, knock, and he will find you. So, Lord, we just thank you for this day. Uh, pray that um, everyone will will come to you, Lord, and um, we look forward to listening to another, another great podcast with you coming up to, uh, to spread the word. And we thank you and praise you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us, and uh, we hope you'll uh, follow us throughout the series. Good night, everybody.